I had been living in such a way that I was encouraging all of these bad organisms to grow in my body for 40 years. I didn't think it made sense for things to just turn around in the space of a few months. And if I looked at it logically that way, I just held on to that belief that as long as things were getting better, no matter how small the improvements, I knew I was moving in the right direction and that eventually things would clear up. Welcome to the Healthy Skin Show with Jennifer Fugo, where we're flipping everything you've been told about your chronic skin issues upside down and connecting you with alternative solutions your dermatologist never told you about. Welcome back to episode number six of the Healthy Skin Show. Today, we are going to be talking about yeast, candida, how that can affect your skin and what it can actually do and how difficult it sometimes can be to get rid of it. This conversation is actually going to come from a much different perspective because I am not necessarily going to be the person leading the conversation in looking deeper and saying, how do we identify this? Instead, today is actually an example of not just an expert, but a friend of mine who struggled with yeast caused or yeast triggered skin rashes. And what her journey was like as she went through the process of not just figuring it out and getting it diagnosed, but what she needed to do in order to address it and how it really changed her life and her perspective on things. Before we jump into that conversation, I'd like to take a question that is very pertinent to today's interview from a listener named Diane. What effect does food-based vitamins such as Saccharomyces cerevisiae have on seborrheic dermatitis, histamine issues, and discuss probiotics in general for these skin conditions as well as topical probiotics. Your opinion, please. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane, for submitting this question. And it's actually quite a good question, one that's very insightful and shows that you are doing your research on this kind of stuff. So, It's interesting that you ask about seborrheic dermatitis and the connection that it has with yeast. One thing I would encourage you to think of is that not all fungal organisms are necessarily the same. And that's an important point here. It's one thing that people oftentimes confuse because we're so used to thinking that candida, especially like candida albicans, which we are probably most familiar with, many of us, We believe that it's very bad for us, and so we don't want any of it in our system. However, even in a healthy microbiome, there's always going to be a very small population of candida albicans. But when candida overgrows, so when, for whatever reason, and there can be a myriad of reasons why your digestive system can become more uh, friendly, so to speak, to yeast organisms as opposed to our own healthy gut flora. And in that particular instance... I found clinically that it is certainly possible for clients who have seborrheic dermatitis to end up with chronic gut yeast issues that have been left unresolved for a long, long time. Now, I don't necessarily have any very hardcore research or data here to support that, but what I have found clinically when I've done Uh, test kits and things like that is that typically there is a dysbiotic state, meaning that the microbiome within that particular client's gut is not balanced and that predominantly candida overrides everything else. And so as a result, 
you know, and I don't entirely know the ins and outs of how exactly Seborrhea is connected to candida itself or to these fungal organisms, because there is more out there than just candida albicans. However, there seems to be, from my experience clinically, a distinct connection. And I am looking forward to having other guests come on the show in upcoming episodes who will share more about this exact topic. In the meantime, I wanted to address your concern about S. boulardi or Saccharomyces boulardi. Saccharomyces boulardi, for many of you, you might recognize it if you've ever had traveler's diarrhea. It's typically used, especially in clients where they have gut issues and they are diarrhea prone. S. boulardi, actually is the shorthand for Saccharomyces boulardi, um, is really great at helping to slow the transit time down to decrease inflammation throughout the GI tract. And it also has some really interesting properties in that it actually attacks unfriendly or opportunistic bacteria living in your gut, as well as other fungal organisms, including Candida albicans. So in my clinical experience, when it comes to something like S. Boulardi, it really depends on whether the client has diarrhea issues or they're more constipated. So if you were more constipated and had seborrheic dermatitis, it would be inappropriate because all that that particular organism or supplement would do would slow your digestive system down, which it would be inappropriate for someone who's trying to actually eliminate these bad gut bugs that you want out of your system. We want to get them out. You don't want diarrhea. Don't get me wrong. We want to be pooping one to three times a day. And for those of you who are listening going, wait, how do we go from skin to poop? <laughs> but you have to understand that my experience has shown me that there is a direct connection between what goes on in your gut as well as what shows up in other systems, including the skin. And so if you find or discover that you have leaky gut and you've got bugs in the gut that really shouldn't be there or are in too high of quantities, it's best to figure out based on your particular symptoms what the path forward needs to look like. And yes, if you say do poop normally one to three times a day, it's not hard, you're not straining, then perhaps taking Espilardi once a day could be helpful. But if you're constipated, it's not. It will just make you more constipated. And that's not good for anybody, to be honest with you. So it really depends. That said, the jury is still out on whether Espilardi contributes to histamine issues or not. The one thing that I have found clinically, and I do work with a lot of clients who have histamine issues, is that you want to make sure to slow down, chew your food slowly. And then make sure to optimize your digestion as well as absorption. When we have histamine issues, sometimes people will mistake histamine issues for what are actually issues where we don't have, say, enough stomach acid. Or if you're taking proton pump inhibitors or some sort of digestive heartburn medication, even if it's over the counter. So one thing that I always recommend all clients do is something called the low stomach acid test. And I'll link to that in the show notes. That way you can go follow those directions. You mix water and baking soda and there's very specific steps to follow. It's not complicated. And you can check to make sure that you have enough stomach acid. 
If you do not have enough stomach acid, it is very difficult for your body at any point further on in the system to be able to degrade proteins in the small intestine, the large intestine, and that's just not where it's supposed to happen. That process is specific to your stomach. If you don't have enough digestive enzymes in your small intestine, it becomes very difficult to break food down there and for your body to then absorb it. And the same goes, I mean, not to kind of go back to the very beginning, but the same goes for chewing your food. If you inhale your food or you eat quickly or you're eating on the go all of the time or you're just snacking and picking here and there and you're not really mindful about slowing down, sitting down, being present to your meal, you're expecting your body to chew the food, I suppose, someplace else. Or you might, I always joke with clients that you might think you have teeth someplace else in your digestive system when they really only reside in your mouth. They are for more than as many of us like to think. Like we see them every day and think of them as a smile, but they actually do serve a very distinct functional purpose as far as digestive function is concerned. They break foods down for us. So slowing down, chewing appropriately, digesting the food, and then absorbing it is critical. And if worse comes to worse, there are supplements out there that can help degrade food-based histamines And those supplements include things like DAO. It's an enzyme that helps in the digestive tract. It should normally be there, but sometimes people end up with reduced quantities of DAO and those types of supplements can be beneficial. Now that said, a DAO supplement does not take the place of a digestive aid. When I say a digestive aid, I mean something that includes stomach acid in the form of betaine HCL, enzymes, so enzymes that actually break down even further, fat, carbs, and protein, and then bile. And that bile is there to help us solubilize the fat and absorb it. And so those need to be in conjunction depending on what's going on. So do the low stomach acid test first, if you have not done that yet, and then make the determination what would be the best path forward for you. I would advise, as always, If you are working with a clinician or a practitioner, please make them aware that you are going to or interested in starting different supplements. Or if you're working on your own and you kind of get out of your comfort zone and this is getting into an area where like, hey, I really don't know anything about this, ask for help. It's better to start out on the right foot than assume that you can just kind of figure it out as you go along and you end up getting into a situation that is not ideal and causing flares and triggers more with your skin. All right, I hope that is helpful. And so I'd like to dive into our conversation today with my good friend, Ricky Heller. She is an amazing human being in general. She makes really tasty food. She's actually vegan, gluten-free, and on the anti-candida diet. And she's looking forward to sharing her knowledge and her journey with you. I am back today with a very good friend of mine, Ricky Heller. She teaches people how to love your food no matter how restricted your diet is. She spent 19 years following an anti-candida diet, and now she helps people learn to eat, cook, and live well so they can focus on healing and enjoying their lives. Through her programs and writing, she shares her passion for sugar-free, 
gluten-free, allergen-friendly recipes, and healthy living. And she's authored three fantastic best-selling cookbooks and has written for a whole bunch of magazines and websites like Mind Body Green, Chris Carr, Gluten-Free and More, etc. She just, Ricky is brilliant. Let's just put it that way. Ricky, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. It's great to see you. I know. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the Natural Skin Show is because you have what I consider to be a really interesting story about having skin rashes. So mm-hmm. would you mind? I think that would be great for people to hear just what your journey is kind of look like. And of course, we always want to qualify this with what Ricky's journey was is hers alone. So we're not necessarily saying that if you have these exact symptoms, this is what you should do, but more so that Ricky was able to overcome this. So Ricky, can you tell us a little bit about your chronic rash story? Sure. So I think, as you know, I was diagnosed with candida a long time ago, and I went on a really strict diet for two years, and my symptoms cleared up. I thought everything was copacetic. I went to nutrition school. So I was eating a whole foods diet, but I was still enjoying my sweets, natural sweeteners. And then I sort of went on a bender one Christmas and started eating all of the conventional sweets again. And then around it was pretty soon, right? maybe January, mid-January, I noticed this tiny little rash just sort of like in my cleavage, right? And it was a bit itchy, but it didn't really bother me that much. I thought, oh, it'll go away. So I ignored it. And I think subconsciously, I kind of knew it's connected to what I was eating. And I was pretty sure it was candida. But eventually it did get a little bigger. It was about the size of a quarter. So I went to my family doctor and she said, yeah, that's a candida rash. Here's a cream. It'll go away in two weeks. Mm. You know, use it every night. And I thought, okay, great. So I'm using the thing and it seemed like the rash was gone. And then one day I started having a little bit of itchiness under my breast, sort of like where your bra line is. And when I looked, there was like this whole line of rash right across my chest. So something had just suddenly popped up as if like you just noticed this. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, candida grows where it's moist and warm. And so you're talking in the winter and you're wearing sweaters and, you know, I'm like, not tiny. <laughs> so there's a cleavage there. It's a yeah. little bit of sweat sometimes. So it was warm, but I thought for sure, because I didn't see it anymore up here, I assumed it was gone. But actually, I think what had happened was it was growing under the breasts at that point. And then it came back. It started just growing everywhere. I'm not kidding. It was like the size of an apple or a grapefruit. It was huge. And it, and it seemed to me at that point, because this rash, it was connected, I'm sure now it was connected to my candida overgrowth and the way I was eating and feeding it with sugar and eating all these toxic foods. And I w- it was itchy, it was painful, it was red, it would blister. I mean, it was really gross. And I started going to specialists. So she sent me to um, dermatologists and other specialists. And everybody said, here's a cream, this will fix it. And it didn't. And it kind of came to a head for me. I remember one day I had been to the dermatologist that I was seeing she had given me Diflucan for two weeks, which is the maximum that they think is safe here, it seems. And I said, you know, it was just barely starting to feel better. Could you extend the prescription? And she said, no, absolutely not. It's too dangerous. I'm not going to do that. Really? And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I guess she was concerned about liver, you know, because it can be hard on your liver. But I think what she didn't realize was I was eating such a clean diet, it probably wouldn't have made a difference to my liver. But I was literally sobbing in this woman's office saying, like, you've got to help me. And she just said, oh, you know, there's nothing more I can do for you. And she was the fourth person I'd seen at that time. And I went on to see maybe seven more dermatologists oh my over the next year. 
So finally, I did find a holistically minded MD because we don't really have functional medicine doctors here in Canada yet, and certainly not at that time. So between her and my naturopath, I did get a longer term prescription. But my feeling is that what really helped because I did not see any change in this rash for almost six months. I mean, it was just basically steady. We were able to prevent it from growing further. Okay, so and you were taking the Diflucan, as you said, and you were doing the diet, but for six months, it just stuck there. It just basically stayed there. Like I said, like this, it it went almost down to my belly button. And I mean, the itching stopped, but the rash was there and it kept going through the cycle of blistering and I thought it was starting to heal and then it would get red again and it would be raised. And so eventually with the diet and we did wean me off the diflucan after about six months, that's when I started seeing a little bit of improvement. And once it started getting better, it got better really fast. So, you know, it took six months to see any difference. And then I would say within the next three or four months, it was 95% cleared up. And I attribute that to, again, like I'm sure that I was dealing with some kind of serious leaky gut issue at the time. And my naturopath was working on my internal terrain, rebalancing. I was taking all kinds of antifungals and digestive aids and probiotics and all the things that helped to heal. And I was eating a really, really clean diet. So for me, that's really what made the difference, I feel. And since then, I've seen people with similar rashes, maybe not on their chest, but rashes that seem to be related to really warm, moist areas of the body. And some get better through diet alone, some get better with diet and supplements. I was a really severe case. And I think what sort of tipped the scales for me was I had this past history of really overdoing the sweets, having a candida outbreak, being treated. But because it's candida is just so persistent, right? Like it will just persist and persist. So even though I'd been feeling good for a while, as soon as I started feeding it all that sugar again and all those processed foods and all those refined foods, I think that's what kind of, you know, tipped the scales and boom, it was like, my body just said, I can't handle this. It's got to come out somewhere. (laughs) So I think one thing that people might be wondering, because I'm kind of actually kind of curious, the rash. So if somebody has gone to the doctor and the doctor doesn't really know what they have, because it's not uncommon for dermatologists to not do biopsies here in the US. I don't fully understand why, but they sometimes go, oh, it looks like this. Or I'm not sure what that is. Try this cream. And that's basically as far as they get. You had said that it was blistering. Do you have any other descriptives of what the rash looked like for someone that might be in this boat where they're really not sure what their rash is? Yeah. So it was a red sort of oval semicircle, but the edges weren't perfectly straight. So it was a little bit bumpy edges and raised. The skin was raised off the surface. So it wasn't flat. If you ran your hand over it, you could feel the skin was a little bit raised where the rash was and even a little bit bumpy. And then as it got worse, it became really bright red. Like, I mean, stop sign red. And it would look like it was blistering over and then the blisters would open and you would have like flaky skin. It would flake, dry up and flake off the top layer. It was gross, but that's what it was like. And then underneath would be pink skin again. And each time that happened, that cycle happened, you'd see this sort of raw pink skin underneath and you think, oh, like when you have a burn or when you have a scab or something, it's that raw pink skin that looks like it's starting to heal. But in fact, that wouldn't happen with me. It would then go through that cycle again. So it would seem like it was healing, but it would become raised again, which is like inflammation, I think. And the blister would happen again. And that took maybe a month for that whole cycle to happen. Wow. 
Um, yeah. And then eventually the blistering totally stopped. But as an example, like for the next, I would even say for the next three, four years, if I had a period where there was a lot of stress or I, I you know, if I traveled and I ate more foods that I wouldn't normally eat that were maybe packaged or whatever, then I would get these raised red patches where the rash, so I guess it was the rash again, but much smaller, but the same idea where it would be inflamed and raised and red, no blistering. And eventually, you know, if I treated it with my home remedies, it would go away. And certainly if I would immediately go back to like an incredibly clean diet, I wouldn't even have grains or whatever for a while to ensure that I could detox. But yeah, so that went on for years as, you know, maybe two, three times a year that would happen. And so for somebody listening to this, I think this is a really important point. And I, I, I'm not harping on it, everyone, but I think this is important. It took me just, and I had eczema, so not a candida rush. It took my eczema six months to stop flaring. And it took another six to eight months after that. So this is while I'm actively dealing with things for it to finally go away. So it took a long time. And so Ricky, you were dealing with this for a long time. And I really appreciate you for being honest about that because skin issues take a long time. Do you have any insights in just how did you stay? (laughs) Like, how did you not end up depressed and being like, forget it, I guess I'm just stuck with this awful rash? Like, what? Do you have any mindset tips for us or anything that helped you get through such a long period of time dealing with something like that? You know, I guess just at the core, I always, because I was trained in holistic nutrition, I truly believe that our bodies are meant to be healthy and want to heal. And that if you give the body what it needs, it will heal. So I really had to focus on that. And I had a fabulous naturopath who was so encouraging that way too. I mean, he, he was always repeating every time I saw him that you can't have unhealthy growth if the terrain is healthy. So, you know, like you can't have weeds in a really strong, healthy garden, they will be crowded out. And so I really just clung to that. And I knew that I was doing the right thing. And then the other thing to consider, I mean, this happened to me when I was about 40. So I had been living in such a way that I was encouraging all of these bad organisms to grow in my body for 40 years. I didn't think it made sense for things to just turn around in the space of a few months. And if I looked at it logically that way, I just held on to that belief that as long as things were getting better, no matter how small the improvements, I knew I was moving in the right direction and that eventually things would clear up. So really just hanging on to that, what I consider to be a truth. And so for me, if it's a fact that you do the right things, you'll eventually get better, then it just didn't make sense that this would go on forever. And I, I guess in my core, I just didn't really believe that it would go on forever. I, I just knew if I did the right things, eventually things would get better. You also have showed us too that you were persistent. You said you saw countless doctors, four, five, six. Oh, even more. Yeah, right. I saw even more. Yeah. So you saw a ton of doctors. You didn't give up. And I think that's an, another really important message for people to hear that just because you are blown off or you have a doctor that's like, no, I'm not giving you any more of this or whatever that they're saying, or they don't believe you that there's any other options and they're not interested in helping. I think you can't allow someone else's negative state of mind about your skin to override your ultimately your health goal around that. At least that's my 
my personal opinion, because I, I see so many people that they're relying on someone else to tell them, oh, this is how we're going to do it. And then they go to the doctors and they're like so defeated. And I'm like, you can't let that doctor dictate what your journey is going to look like and whether you're going to continue forward. You just have to find another practitioner that meshes with your health goals and that can support you through that. And just real quick in a couple of the final moments that we have, do you have any tips to share with people if they're kind of going through something similar, any lifestyle changes or things that helped you get some immediate relief when you're kind of in the mix of that <laughs> flare cycle? Yeah, for sure. So I did a lot of compresses and things like that. I mean, I can talk about some of the natural treatments I used for myself, the sort of palliative things. But also just in terms of your food, I mean, alkalize, alkalize, alkalize. So green juice, dark leafy greens, that, that was sort of my go-to the minute things start to flare. I double or triple the amount of green I eat and it made a huge difference. And of course, I think this should go without saying, but you know, I didn't eat sugar to begin with, but no sugar and no refined anything, which I generally don't have. But once I was feeling better, I might use like a gluten-free flour mix once in a while to make some treats or something. So all of that was off the table when I was having a flare, like really, really clean. And if you can drink a lot of juice, do that. And then obviously keep things dry and whatever. But in terms of itch, there are so many natural treatments now. Like I did compresses with tea tree oil, diluted tea tree oil or grapefruit seed extract or even boric acid. I found very helpful diluted boric acid in warm water and just do compresses. And that just helps like with the immediate itch and redness. At least it did for me. So if things were really bad and I couldn't concentrate or whatever, that's what I ended up doing. And walk around braless if you're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you could even wear a bra if you had it in that area. And you're right. So the microbiome is really interesting on the skin. It differs based on where the area is. So areas that are more moist, like under the breast, the armpits, the genitals, you'll see a different... It's just a, there's a different microbiome that's there based on like maybe the back of your arm or your shoulders or, you know, like it, they just vary. So that may be one reason why some people will find that, especially candida, my sister, who's an acupuncturist, she was told me, we always think of that as like a moist issue. And so those areas tend to be moister. So if you find that you're getting these rashes in those areas, that may be a really good thing to suspect, especially too, if you have a history of any type of fungal infection. So vaginal yeast infection, thrush, even if you have fungal toe infections, that can certainly be a red flag. If you've had a history of antibiotic use, that kind of stuff. But I think this is really important for people to hear that you were able to, you know, you hung in there, you didn't give up hope and that you were able to overcome that. And I think everybody, so I'm actually going to have Ricky back because she knows a ton about the sugar-free landscape and natural and alternative sweeteners. So we're going to talk about that in another upcoming interview. So Ricky, thank you so much for joining us. I know that everybody can check you out at rickyheller.com. And you also have a fantastic freebie that you can give to everybody called the top 10 quick and easy anti-candida recipes ebook. Where can they find that? And we'll put it in the show notes too. So if you're listening, don't worry. Really simple. It's just rickyheller.com forward slash quick, easy recipes. So all three words together, and then it'll take you to a sign in for that little ebook and get a taste of 
the sugar-free recipes. Great. And like I said, anybody listening to this, I'm going to put all of Ricky's information in the show notes, including that link to the ebook. And Ricky, I'm excited to have you back. Let's do this again sometime soon. All right. Great. Thanks. I love having conversations like this with people like Ricky because it helps to remind you that so many of us, even those of us in the health world, have had experiences like this. And they are experiences that have helped shape why we are so passionate about helping individuals like yourselves. And so all of the show notes, as I said, are going to be posted over on healthyskinshow.com. All right, enough for now. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode where we're going to continue to dive deep to help you rebuild healthier skin. Mm -hmm.